Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. It's great to see all of you worshiping with us, all of you at Bonnie Oaks, each of you at the Creekside Service, all of you at our North Ottawa campus, all of you worshiping online with us. I'm Tony Walliser. I'm one of the pastors here at Silverdale, and it is a joy to be able to be back together again worshiping. There's something unique whenever the saints of God gather. God inhabits the praises of his people. We are the temple of God, and the presence of God comes when we gather together. God inhabits his praises. So I'm so glad that you're here. This is what I encourage you to do. Go ahead and take your Bibles and open up to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 2. You can take your smartphone, open that app as well. Also, um, you can download the Silverdale app, and you can pull up the notes and other things that we provide for you so you can follow along and take notes. Um, This summer... We are teaching through the book of Daniel. It's an incredible book, the book of Daniel. And what we're learning is how do you stand in a broken world? How do you stand in the midst of Babylon? I mean, so last week we saw that the people of God were taken in captivity, and that's many times the way we feel. I mean, we're just in captivity, right? And then they change their names and give them these pagan names. They try to indoctrinate them for three years to make them good Babylonians. And, and that's exactly what's happening today. I mean, the fact is, Satan wants to take captive the children of God. He wants to give you a new identity. He wants to conform you to this world. And so how do you stand? I mean, think about it. We're living in a crazy world. I mean, we got a coronavirus that's killing people, right? Well, we had a tornado that destroyed a large part of our city. I mean, you know, then you have murders and racism that's suddenly becoming right, very exposed and that we stand against that evil of racism. And then, then you have, you know, there's the hatred that's going on, the riots that are happening. I mean, it's like our world is spiraling out of control. And so what do the, the children of God do? How do you stand when it looks like everything around you is crumbling? That is why we're studying Daniel, because the principles we learn will teach you how to stand for God in the midst of a crumbling society. And today we're going to talk about how do you stand in the gap? Now, last week we saw that Daniel had been promoted to be, you know, one of the king's advisors. Dream job, right? But that dream job becomes a nightmare. And that's exactly what happens to you and I. Sometimes our dreams become nightmares. Sometimes the storms of life or the difficulties in our life are like, what's going on? I don't understand. This this isn't working out. And so how do you stand when it's like everything is being threatened around you? Well, that's what we learned today in Daniel chapter 2. And if you're taking notes, I encourage you to do that. I want you to jot down these four principles, and there's a progression that we need to follow to be able to stand whenever everything, our, our dreams become nightmares. And so what is it? First of all, jot this down. Let's talk about the problem. The problem, you see, the fact is, is every one of us are going to have problems from time to time, right? You got problems, I got problems, all God's children got problems, right? We've all got problems. It doesn't matter who you think you are or how insulated from life you are or how powerful you may be, you're still going to have some problems. Case in point today, let's talk about Nebuchadnezzar. 
Now, we mentioned him just briefly last week, but Nebuchadnezzar, he's this king. Here's a picture of him on a coin. That's him young with armor and helmet and that kind of stuff. But let me give you a little history about Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, first, his dad was the king of Babylon, and he was the prince, and he was also the general. And so first he conquers Egypt, and then Syria, and then Phoenicia, and he's about to conquer the Mede kingdom. And, um, you know, basically goes to them and says, hey, i got a proposition for you. I can come in and destroy you like I've done all these other nations, or you can give me the king's beautiful daughter as my wife. And they go, where are you registered? Come on, right? <laughs> and so he marries her, takes her back to Babylon, and he builds the Hanging Gardens of Babylon for her, which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. He fortifies hundreds of cities. He builds the very first port in the Persian Gulf. He builds the first bridge over the Euphrates River. He's the very first person to pave with asphalt. I mean, this guy was revolutionary. He was like a king. He's like the president. He's like Wall Street. He's like Bill Gates. He's like a general, all wrapped up in the one man. The Bible describes him as the most powerful man that's ever lived. He's on the top of the world, top of the food chain, and yet God can bring him down with a dream. You see, he's going to learn something. I can be so powerful, but all God has to do is disrupt my sleep. And so he has a little insomnia. Check it out, verse 1. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1 says this. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, he had dreams that troubled him and sleep deserted him. Here's a man who had conquered the world, and yet God can conquer him with a simple dream. Can I tell you something? You think you're all that? God can bring you down like that. I mean, the fact is, is that you may not think that you need God. We all desperately need God. Nebuchadnezzar thinks he is God. He doesn't need God. God's going to say, no, you're going to need me. In those days, people would look at dreams and visions and go, okay, this is sort of the way the gods would communicate to us. And, it, and it's true. We can see in the Bible that God did that multiple times. In fact, you know, God can do that today. Did you know that April 14th, 1865, Abraham Lincoln comes to his cabinet that morning and says, I had this strangest dream. I had a dream that I was in the White House. There was weeping in the White House. There was a casket in the East Room. There was a soldier nearby, and I asked the soldier, who's dead in the White House? And the soldier said, the president has been shot by an assassin. That night, he went to Ford's Theater and was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth. See, God does communicate through dreams. And so, you know, here's Nebuchadnezzar. He has this dream, and he's troubled by it. And so he brings in his advisors to, to help interpret it. And so look at it. And that's verse 2. So the king gave orders to summon the magicians, medians, sorcerers, and Chaldeans to tell the king his dream. And so these are all the guys that claim that they can speak to the other side. They're just a bunch of psychics, right? I mean, they're the very same group that you would call on the psychic hotlines, 1-800-DIAL-A-DEMON, right? <laughs> I hope that you'll never refer to a psychic, okay? If you do, you're basically dialing 1-800-I'm-A-FOOL, okay? Because the psychics are just that, okay? Look at it in verse 3. He said to them, I have had a dream, and I'm anxious to understand it. The Chaldeans spoke to the king. May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give you the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans, my word is final. If you don't tell me the dream and its interpretation, you'll be torn limb from limb and your houses be made a garbage dump. You see, these psychics, you know what, they're like, <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar's like, you know what, you claim to be in contact with the other side. Well, tell me my dream and then tell me the interpretation. And if you can't do that, then you're just a bunch of frauds. And, and, he's, and they're like, well, nobody can tell you the dream and the interpretation. Give us the dream, and then we'll give you the interpretation. And so he says, no. And so he gets angry. And look what, 
they say to him, he says, what the king is asking is so difficult that no one can make it known to him except the gods whose dwelling is not with mortals. And so the reason why these psychics couldn't tell the king the answer to the dream is because they only had contact with the demonic world. You see, this dream was from God, and so only someone with the spirit of God could give Nebuchadnezzar the dream that was from God. That's why it shouldn't surprise us that whenever people try to read the Bible, they they read it and they go, it's too confusing, I don't understand it. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because it's written by the Spirit of God, and only whenever you're walking in the Spirit will you fully understand what the Bible's trying to teach you, see? And so that's what's happening here. These guys only had in touch with the demonic world. They couldn't give the Spirit of God's world. Only Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, only Daniel could do that. So look what the king does. He gets really mad at their excuses. Verse 12, because of this, the king became violently angry and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So he goes, okay, I've had it with you guys. You're a bunch of frauds. We're going to kill all of you. And we may think, well, <laughs> they deserve it. They're just a bunch of, you know, charlatans, right? Well, bad news is that, you know what? <laughs> Daniel and his friends are now some of the king's advisors. And so this means Daniel's life is now threatened. Verse 13, the decree was issued that the wise men were to be executed, and they searched for Daniel and his friends to execute them. Uh-oh. Yikes. Daniel's life is now threatened. Here's Daniel. My goodness, last week we were all excited. Daniel got promoted. Woohoo! Uh, okay, new memo. Going to be some cutbacks. Going to start with your arms, then your legs, and then your head, okay? And so you go, whoa, what's going on? And so what's happening is, is here's Daniel, and yet his life is threatened, and yet he's so calm. I mean, check it out. I love his demeanor in verse 14. Look what it says. Then Daniel responded with tact and discretion to Arach, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to execute the wise men of Babylon. I mean, how does Daniel talk with tact and discretion to the executioner? I mean, what does that look like? You got a really nice axe there. Wow, you sharpened it really nice. I mean, what do you do? And yet, here's Daniel, who's so calm. I mean, the rest of the wise men, they're just freaking out, right? They're screaming. They can't believe it, right? And here's Daniel. He's so calm. Well, can I just tell you something? Yelling and screaming at people and demanding your way, it doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't. How in the world does Daniel not panic? Because he knows something. The very same God that gave Nebuchadnezzar the dream is the very same God that he walks with, and that God will give him the interpretation. He knew something. God is in control. Folks, in this world that is so chaotic and messed up, you need to hang on to that truth. God is in control. And when everybody else is freaking out, you don't have to freak out. You don't have to be panicked. You don't have to operate in fear. You can operate in faith. That's exactly what Daniel did. And so here's Daniel. He's facing the same problem everybody else is. But I want you to notice how he solved that problem, which leads to the second point. Jot this down. Let's talk about the prayer. The prayer. Now, follow the progression. You got this problem. Oh, my goodness. We're all threatened. We're all going to die. Then it leads to panic, right? And then it leads to prayer. And it's the very same way with you and I. Whenever you and I, we face a problem, and you feel this anxiety and worry begin to build up, that is God's sign to you saying, you need to pray. You need to hit your knees. The only way you're going to stand in this broken world is if you kneel before the king of heaven. That's it. Look at what the Bible says, verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, about the matter, urging them to ask 
asked the God of heaven for mercy concerning this mystery. So what does Daniel do? Daniel goes to his small group, his small group of friends. I hope you've got a small group of friends that's got your back, right? Because whenever the storms of life and the pressures of life come, you need a small group of friends that will pray for you, that will lift you up. That's what's happening here. And so he's like, we need wisdom. We need God to give us wisdom about this thing. And can I tell you something? In your problems, did you know that God has promised you wisdom? That's what the Bible says, New Testament. James chapter 1, verse 5. In the middle of your trials, James says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously. God will give you wisdom in the middle of your trials. You know what prayer is? Prayer is that communication to God in the middle of your battles. Whether you realize it or not, we're at war. There's a spiritual forces that are out there that are to destroy you and your family. That's, that's the, what's going on. And whenever you're in the middle of that battle, and there's explosions going on here and there, and it feels like life is being threatened, what do you do? You've got to call in to headquarters. You've got to call in to the commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ, and say, God, you know what I don't know. You see what I don't see. God, I need your wisdom. I need your insight. God, how am I going to handle this problem? That only happens in prayer, folks. God answers you in prayer. And so that's what he does. And so he prays, his friends pray for him, and then God answers him. That's what the Bible says in verse 19. Look what the Bible says. The mystery was then revealed to Daniel in the vision of the night. And so God gave Nebuchadnezzar the king a dream. Then he gives a vision to Daniel. You go, does God still do that today? I know there's a group of Christians in our world today called cessationists, and they'll say that you know, God no longer communicates in dreams and visions today. I don't fall into that camp. You see, I believe that you know, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the very same God that used visions and dreams in the Old Testament, and you see visions and dreams in the New Testament, that I believe that God can and does use visions and dreams today. I mean, case in point... When, you know, last year when I was in um, the Middle East, work, you know, working with our uh, missionaries, I met one Muslim after another after another who had come to faith. And every one of them, do you know how the initial spark was to start seeking after Jesus? It was a vision or dream. They say that 95% of Muslims that come to faith, it is because of a vision and dream. Remember, this is a region of the world where it's illegal to convert, that you can't preach the gospel there, and yet thousands of people are coming to faith. Why? Because God still uses dreams to get people's attention, okay? And so that's what's happening here. And so here's Daniel, and he seeks God, and God gives him this word, this wisdom that he needs. Now, you know what Daniel doesn't do? Daniel's not seeking after signs and miracles and wonders. He's seeking after God. And I know there's a whole group of Christians that all they do is they're seeking after signs and miracles and wonders. No. Don't seek after signs and miracles and wonders. You seek after Jesus Christ. And as you're pursuing and seeking after Jesus Christ, then God may give you a sign, a miracle, or wonder, right? But you per- your pursuit is always Jesus Christ. And so here's Daniel. Daniel prays. God gives him the wisdom, Right? And so, which leads to the third point of this sermon, the progression. First the problem, then the prayer. Jot this down. Number three is this, the prophecy. The prophecy. God gives him this prophecy, this prediction. And that's what I've seen so many times in my life as well. The many times when I've got a problem, and I'm struggling, and I pray, and I seek the Lord. You know what often will happen? God will give me a word. As I'm reading the word, suddenly a passage will come alive. God will speak. God will give me a promise that I can hang on to, that I can respond to that problem with. That's how God works. He did it with Daniel. He does that with you. And so what we have here, though, is that Daniel, he's given this vision, this dream, right? 
and it's a prophecy. You go, what does that mean? That means it's going to predict the future. The last half of the book of Daniel deals with a lot of prophetic, you know, predictions about the end times. And we're going to study all those and the signs of the times leading up to the return of Jesus Christ. And so here comes Daniel. And what I love here is that he comes boldly into the throne of the king's throne room. Right? I mean, all the advisors are just shaking. They can't believe it. Oh, my goodness, we're going to die. And then Daniel comes in confidently before the most powerful man on earth. How is it that Daniel can stand before the king, the most powerful man on earth? It's because he knelt before the king of heaven. See, the only way that you're going to stand in this world is if you'll kneel first to the king of kings and lord of lords. See, your prayer life sets up the rest of your life. And so what Daniel does is he reveals the dream and then gives the interpretation. You can see in verse 31. He says, your majesty, as you were watching, suddenly a colossal statue appeared. That statue, tall and dazzling, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was terrifying. Let me summarize real quickly what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was and then what the, um, what the interpretation was, okay? And so you just imagine you got this glistening, amazing, majestic statue, okay? And it's made of all these different materials, sort of like this picture here, okay? So what you have here is you've got the head of gold, and then you have the arms and chest of silver, And then you have this brass belly, bronze belly, and then you have these iron legs, and then you have these feet made of a mixture of iron and clay, okay, then the ten toes. And then suddenly in the dream, you have this small little rock that breaks off and rolls over and knocks down this statue, and then it begins to grow and grow and grow until it takes over the earth, okay? So that was the dream. So what was the interpretation? Well, Daniel says, here's the deal. That dream, it's all speaking about future events and future kingdoms. He goes, that that statue that represents humanity and all the kingdoms that are going to come. The head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar, that's you in Babylon. Look at it, verse 38. You are the head of gold. But guess what, Nebuchadnezzar? Your kingdom's not going to last forever. It's going to eventually fall. Look at what the next verse says, verse 39. After you, there will rise another kingdom inferior to yours. That's the Medo-Persian Empire. That's why it had the two arms. And then what happens? And then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule the whole earth. That's the Greek Empire. You've heard of Alexander the Great? There's a prediction of it. Verse 40. A fourth kingdom will be strong as iron, for iron crushes and shatters everything. And like iron that smashes, it will crush and smash all the others. That's the Roman Empire. And then he doesn't go into detail of who that last kingdom is, the the combination of ten kings that all rule together. That's the end times kingdom. But what you have here is you have what? You have that little stone broken off, and it rolls over. And who's that? That's Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ comes right during the Roman Empire. And what does he do? He comes and his kingdom begins to grow. um, grow. And one day he's coming again and he will set up his kingdom. And he will rule and reign forever and ever as king of kings and lord of lords. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 44. Then the God of heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. You saw a stone break off from the mountain without a hand touching it. That means it's divine. Jesus is the perfect God-man. And it crushed the iron, bronze, fire, clay, you know, silver, and gold. The great God has told the king what will happen in the future. Now, let me ask you a question. Has everything that Daniel predicted come true? Absolutely. I mean... 
Babylon? Did they fall? Yes. Who did they fall to? The Median Persian Empire. And then who came after them? Well, then the Greeks came. Yep, sure enough, just like he predicted. Then the Romans. Everything has happened just as Christ predicted, just as Daniel predicted. I mean, was there this little stone that came during the Roman Empire? Yes, it was Jesus Christ. He was the, you know, the stone that the builders rejected but became the chief cornerstone. You see, everything, just as surely as the kingdom of gold and kingdom of silver, kingdom of bronze and iron came and went, then you can know just as surely as God fulfilled all those prophecies that there's a one final prophecy for Jesus Christ to come again and he's going to rule and reign forever and ever. That's what the Bible is teaching us. So here's Daniel. He's given this prophecy, right? These predictions. So follow the progression. You got a problem. You need to pray. Then God gives you a word of encouragement to make it through that. Now, what I want to do, I want to close with what I call the principles. Jot this down. From Daniel chapter 2, there are some principles that we glean out of this that will be helpful for you to hang on when we're living in Babylon. Because, folks, we're surrounded by the spirit of Babylon. We're threatened on every side. Those things that we hold dear, you know what, are, are, are considered, you know, you know, nobody cares about Christians anymore. We're the, we're the worst, Right? I mean, think about it. People around the world are dying for the faith of Jesus Christ. There's dangers, same dangers Daniel faced. So what are the three principles that can, you can cling to when you're surrounded by the spirit of Babylon? Well, three things. Number one, first of all, you need to remember there is a God in heaven. Amen? There is a God in heaven. You are not alone in this universe. You're not a product of time and chance. There is purpose in the midst of chaos. That's why we sing, you know, God, you can take even evil and turn it into good. See, God is bigger than that. So look what it says. This is Daniel saying, verse 28. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Nebuchadnezzar, you think you're God? Nebuchadnezzar, you think you're all that? Can I tell you something? Nebuchadnezzar, you are not God. And one of the most liberating truths you can cling to is this. There is a God, and it's not you. There's a God, and it's not you. You can resign as general manager of the universe today. And in fact, this is what I want you to do. Turn to a person near you and just say to them, there's a God, and it's not you. Remind them, there's a God, and it's not you. Okay? And so that's the very first principle. There's a God in heaven. Okay? But notice the second principle. Jot this down. The God of heaven controls history. The God of heaven controls history. See, there's people that are like, okay, yeah, I believe there's a God, there's a divine being that's out there, right? You see design, there's got to be a designer. But they have this mindset that somehow God's absent from the world today. God's sort of like what the deists used to say, you know, God sort of wound up the clock and just let it go and we've got to fend for ourselves. No. Daniel said, God is involved in what's happening in human history. In fact, history is his story. Check it out. Look at verse 20. May the name of God be praised forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. He changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. Folks, God is the one who raises up kings and puts down kingdoms. God's the one who does that. Now, that's something very important to remember during an election year, right? Because can I tell you something? No matter who is elected in November, Jesus Christ is still Lord, We do not put our hope in some donkey or some elephant. We put our hope in the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. What is God doing here? Well, guess what? Daniel's saying God raised up Babylon. Why? God raised up Babylon to 
discipline the nation of Israel and bring them into captivity. And then what did God do? Well, then God raised up the Persian Empire, the Medes and the Persians. Why? Because they needed to be brought back to the promised land, back to Israel. That's where the Messiah was going to be born. And then what happened? Well, then God raised up a third kingdom, the, the Greeks. Why? Alexander the Great. Why? Because he provided a universal language. Did you know what the New Testament was written in? Greek. Why? Because God had set it up for a purpose. And then God raises up the Roman Empire. Why the Roman Empire? Well, it's called Pax Romana. It was Roman peace. For 200 years, they had the Roman roads. You could go from one side of the world to the other with complete peace. Nobody's going to stop you. Why was that important? Because in the fullness of time, whenever Jesus Christ came and the gospel began to go out, it was able to spread like wildfire. You see, all of this was set up by God. God was involved in all of human history, and it's the same way today. God is the one who's in control of history. Sometimes actually all the time, when I'm watching television, I watch two shows at once. It drives my wife Susan crazy. When I'm watching one show, commercial comes on, I turn to another. And so I remember one night I was watching the news, and there was some disconcerting thing on the news, and it was stressing me out. Commercial comes, and I switch over to the History Channel. And there was a lot of disconcerting stuff going on there, but it wasn't stressing me out. Why? Because I knew it was history. For the children of God... Everything's the History Channel and not the news. Can I tell you something? There's nothing that happens that surprises God. Nothing's going on going, oh my goodness, didn't know that was going to happen. Uh, you don't have to freak out. Why? Because God knows the future. Folks, you don't have to you know, be overwhelmed by the circumstances of this life because you trust in God and God knows the future. See, if God knows the future, you don't need to know the future. All you need to know is the God who knows the future know that he's got to figure it out for you. Right? Let me say that again. You don't have to freak out thinking that you've got to know the future. All you've got to know is the God who knows the future and know that he's got it figured out for you. And that gives you peace. That's what Daniel's saying. Daniel's saying there's a God in heaven, and our God, he controls the events of humanity. But there's a third principle, and it's this. God wants to use you to touch the world. God wants to use you to touch this world. You see, the Spirit of God is looking for people that will walk with him in a broken world of Babylon, in the spirit of Babylon. Why? Because God is all about saving people and reaching people and changing Babylon into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. There's there's two kingdoms going on, the spirit of Babylon and the spirit of God. And the Bible says the eyes of the Lord are looking to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support someone whose hearts are completely his. God's looking for you to say, God, I'm going to serve you, love you, follow you, even when everybody else isn't. That's Daniel. Look what happened to Daniel, verse 47. The king said to Daniel, Your God is indeed the God of gods, Lord of lords, and revealer of mysteries. Since you were able to reveal this mystery, then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many generous gifts. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and chief governor over all the wise men of Babylon. So here's Daniel. He gets another promotion. He had been made an advisor last week. Now he's the chief advisor. But not only chief advisor, he becomes the academic dean for the University of Babylon. Okay, He becomes the, the guy that oversaw all the rest of the wise men. Talk about influence. Daniel becomes one of the most influential men in the Babylonian and then the Persian Empire. I mean, it's amazing. Here's this foreigner that God exalts. Now, what I want to do, I want to connect some dots for you from the Old Testament and New Testament. Because you have Daniel, 
It's written 600 years before the time of Christ. And every one of the prophecies that Daniel predicted came true. In fact, we're going to study it in a few weeks. Daniel actually predicted when Jesus Christ was coming, the dates, okay? It's all there. All those prophecies came perfectly true, okay? And then 600 years later, the angel Gabriel shows up to this young virgin girl named Mary and announces that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. It's found in Luke chapter 1, verse 32. Look what God's word says. He will be great, and he'll be called the son of the most high, and his kingdom will have no end. That's the Messiah. That's exactly what Daniel predicted was going to happen, right? And then what happens? Well, you got, you know, you've seen the nativity story. You've got, um, you know, you've got the, the shepherds that come, right? A few months later, they're in a house, not a manger anymore. And, and, and these, these wise men come up. These magi come. And it's a mystery. You go, who are these wise men? Who are these guys? How do they know about the Messiah? I mean, these are, these are you know, these wise men from these Persian ancient cultures, Babylon. Where did they come from? Let me tell you where they came from. They are the descendants of 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 those that Daniel taught in Babylon. You see, Daniel became the chief wise men, and he began to train all the wise men about the prophecies and what's coming. And suddenly, uh, you know, one man hears it, and he tells his children, who tells his children, who tells his children, who tells his children that a Messiah is coming. And what do they do? They become one of the very first worshipers of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they had been influenced by Daniel 600 years earlier. Folks, that's why we study the Word of God. That's why we meet together as a church, because eternity is in the balance. See, that's what I want your influence to be like. I want you to influence your children who influence their children and their children. I want you to influence your friends and your neighborhood and your co-workers so they'll influence their neighbors and their co-workers and generation after generation. And if Jesus Christ tarries, it is my prayer that 600 years from now, there will be people that have been influenced by you. Your children's children, children, children's children will be there worshiping Jesus whenever he returns again. Why? Because that's what God's called you to. God's called you to make a difference in this broken world. Folks, we are right on the precipice of history. All the prophecies have been fulfilled. We're waiting for Jesus Christ to come again. And when he comes again, you know what's going to happen? He's going to rise the dead. He's going to wipe away all of your tears. He's going to heal all the brokenness of the nations. And he's going to set up his kingdom. The stone which the builders rejected is going to become the chief cornerstone. And everyone is going to worship him. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Come, Jesus, come. But until you come, Lord Jesus, we want to be found faithful. That's what God's called every one of us to. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected 
Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.